0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're in Zechariah. We're looking at chapter six today. More of these visions. Now, this is going to be the last one in a little bit here. It's drawing on some images that are familiar so far. More of this stuff with the number four. More horses. Uh, different colors, though, right? You've got um red black white and i had to look this up you know dappled i i just i'm i guess i'm not a what's the term equestrian kind of guy right so i'm a lot of stuff with these animals here these different directions what what's going on though and what's going on especially with then this crown that the high priest receives it looks like a kind of crown that a king would wear but here's joshua wearing it high priest. So what's going on there? A lot of good stuff here in another short chapter, just packed full of things. We've got joining us today Pastor Curtis Dieterding, Pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Welcome back, brother. Good morning. Good to have you with us.
1: Good to be here. So how are you doing today?
0: Oh, hanging in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: it's just so, yes, uh, it's, it's, it's that busy time of year, you know, with Lent isn't also. It? Uh, yeah, so we just uh we have two services too during the week for that. So
0: Oh okay, okay. And, and so how and how's it going? Uh, it's going it's going pretty well and it's uh it's okay. a big
1: help to have other pastors here on board too, so
0: Yes, a, a, Amen. Amen. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that um yeah, having having multiple pastors that um that really is a is a big blessing when it's possible. And I I know sometimes people are like, Well now well now hang on, it only takes one of you guys to, you know, preach a sermon, right? But uh <laughs>
2: Yeah, There's a few things it. going on.
0: Yeah, yeah it's pretty right. It takes right? A, t- it takes, it takes a few of us to play golf, though. So, well, <laughs> that's, that, uh, that's what's going on, right? Yeah, man. there you go. Oh, uh, but
1: uh, and you can do that so, here year year round too. So, I,
0: I, that's right. Yeah, same out same out here in Orange County. But let's not rub that in too much for all our listeners in the yeah, Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh so, that's right. so yeah. That's right. So we're looking here at Zechariah chapter six and. Uh, Yeah, and another one of these chapters, and everything outside of chapter 9 isn't in the lectionary, it's pretty unfamiliar, and yet nothing, I think, sounds too unfamiliar in Zechariah, because everyone's like, hang on a second, the different colored horses, that sounds familiar. I think that everything sounds vaguely like Revelation, right?
1: Right, and that's the thing, you know, we need to remember that this is visionary language, and so... Um, there have been numerous types of uh, interpretation that's been given to all this language that 's in here and and anything that ties in with uh you know the uh, the apocryphal language of, of revelation and Daniel and so forth. Uh, you know, we we just gotta just gotta walk uh, carefully here because uh, sometimes there have been interpretations that are really out there that um, are are too uh, what do you call it literalistic? I guess would be the yeah. word. And and then and then you also have to kind of watch the context too when you're when you're looking at visionary language as well. So,
0: yeah, that, that, that's well said. Yeah, this apocalyptic stuff, like in Revelation or Daniel or, or here in Zechariah. It doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world, and in, in fact, it basically usually doesn't mean that. Right. <laughs> Apocalyptic, just referring to a spiritual perspective on earthly affairs. So, not necessarily like you know these are the, the the four horses you know of the apocalypse in the in the sense of you know bringing doom and disaster. But well, we'll we'll have a chance to to look at some different possibilities and uh, throw some things around. So, yeah, looking looking forward to this. As uh, we get started then, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening along today? Absolutely.
1: Lord in heaven, we thank you for the prophets that in the past have pointed us toward the future, part of that future being fulfilled in the one who is Messiah, our Savior Jesus. We pray that you would remind us of that as we uh, continue to approach your word that all of it is central in the gospel, the saving gospel that comes to us through the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. Today, as we approach Zechariah, we pray that your spirit uh, would give us uh, a portion of discernment to be able to understand what this all means for us as we walk from day to day through your word and in our life, always seeking to glorify you. Bless us again this day by your word, in the name of Christ
0: Jesus, our our Savior. We pray, Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. You bet. All right. Let's take a look at just the first verse. We'll read just just the first verse, and um, and then maybe we can try to get our bearings here. So here is Zechariah chapter six, verse one. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. Okay. So again, uh well, and, and this is interesting. You actually have the word again, right? So uh, I'm not sure that we've actually had that where he where he, well I guess it was back in chapter five where you know we're just continuing these visions here. But uh, th- this does seem to be the the last one and a little bit of a sequence and even though it's got something familiar like there's a uh, kind of this four um idea again we had four horns i think it was back in chapter 1 so some some familiar things but then some new stuff like um, i mean you know uh, mountains of bronze uh, that we haven't seen that so far so uh, yeah so how does this kind of um situate itself after the first five chapters
1: well, I didn't get to walk with you on the first five chapters, but I did I did review that again today and I, and it looks like we've come up on a an eighth vision here. And uh-huh. um there is some there is some similarities to uh the very first vision, uh but that's coming up yet. I won't I won't uh, talk about that, but the, as far as these mountains again, um you you have to really look at the historical understanding of how those who had been interpreting this, you know, way back saw these these words um, and what they what they meant for them in the day. And we get this idea that uh, bronze in itself does not rust like, let's say, iron does. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got more of a quality to it that's that that withstands, you know, withstands uh, corrosion and all of that. And so we're talking about mountains with strength. We're talking about a strength that um, is is really represented in a couple of things. First of all, there was the the, uh, temple that we've read about, I'm sure, in the Bible where it talks about uh, bronze pillars being on each side of the entrance to the temple. Um, Another would be uh, the fact that uh, these bronze pillars, I know that there's another interpretation where uh, they represent... Um, like uh, like prophets and law, according to Mar- Martin Luther, you know he would talk about it as as right. that. And mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so there's there's again, you have to kind of go outside of this. You, you can't just read this and, and get and pick all that up. You you really got to yeah. hear some of the the history of interpretation in order to kind of yeah. really start to understand this.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's well said, and yeah, you know, like I, I can't help but chuckle a little bit when you just, as you're saying, you, you look at the history and the range of different interpretations, and you're like wow, it could, like, this could mean anything, <laughs> you know? Yes, well, sometimes just, just... you feel that way. So. <laughs> well, yeah, at least that's kind of that's how you feel sometimes. Um, I, I do appreciate, though, you directing our attention to, okay, like so what does bronze mean, right, from an ancient Hebrew perspective, right? We, we've got to not try to think about thinking of bronze from a 21st American perspective, because, uh, for, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like the first thing that I think of when people talk about bronze in like a contemporary context is like third place <laughs> right, <laughs> right? right yeah. i mean like olympic that would have been just not at all even remotely a thought that right. you would have had in this context so you, you got to say okay well what, what did bronze mean to them and i think the thing that you mentioned which is really good um uh, is that well um unlike iron it doesn't rust right you know and i have like a big cast iron wok um on on my stove which Mm -hmm. i use all the time and i love it um but you gotta be really careful with it because you know man like don't try cooking like you know tomato sauce and stuff like that in there right because oh man right you're gonna mess up my nice cast iron so um yeah bronze um especially in these kinds of settings uh would have been thought of as this a good material for outdoor use right like i think if i recall i think that like um, Babylon had these bronze gates, right? Like, if you have something that's out on the outside of a, a city or something like that, you don't necessarily want lots of iron that's going to rust in the rain. Um, so, bronze. You think about like the bronze serpent um, that Moses right. lifted up on the pole, right? Like, well, if you're running around outside in the wilderness for forty years, like, makes more sense to use bronze <laughs> as your like outdoor pole material than, than iron. So, so yeah, if this is meant to be something on the facade of something. Um, I do like that suggestion that you raised, like maybe this is supposed to be something like, uh, the, the temple or signify some kind of like maybe even the entrance of the temple, right. That kind of outside facade type of thing where mountain is getting at really the, the sturriness or the enduring quality of it. And not necessarily that, you know, these are like, giant metal mountains or something
1: right and I, and i and i like the picture i mean if you, if you look at this i mean this is quite a picture of what he's seeing in this vision that these chariots are coming out from between two mountains uh the mountains always uh, are very glorious uh, they show the strength of the creation of the lord you know and and uh you know you can't help but think you know the lord really everything around us is made and created by Him, and it's almost like you know, it's coming out of His glory. Comes these, these uh, chariots between these, um, between these two, two mountains. It's almost like you know, coming out of the heavens, <laughs> you know, out of right. out of nowhere. Here they come, and and it's like you know. God's you know, temple the temple is is in the presence of God, you know, for eternity. So um see that's what I that's what I gotta be careful of. you don't want to read too much into it. And that's why it's <laughs> well, important to stay with the historical uh yeah, interpretation yeah, that's... of the to... well.
0: Yeah, I know. But well, but but sometimes uh, if you throw out kind of like a, a number of things what you can do and this is I find it helpful is you can try to find like where do all those ideas intersect, right? And then maybe kind of X marks the spot then. Because uh yeah, like you do have, you know, this this mountain um language this idea of, you know, like you know, God being like the the god of the mountain, right? El Shaddai, right? Um yes. the idea of, you know, God like coming down from the mountains to help his people Uh, So, and of course, that gets tied into the whole idea of, you know, Mount Zion, right? So, I mean, you know, could this be kind of, because of all the different associations, be a nice poetic way of talking about, um, you know, God's presence as, you know, as he goes out um, for the sake of his people uh, from the temple that's up on, um, you know, the Temple Mount, right? It's just kind of this image of, you know, the, the Temple Mount Zion, Kind of all of that, kind of collectively, right? As this um I- enduring, uh, beautiful thing, and so I, I think that then what we got connected to, if, if we're kind of if it if the answer is kind of like you know in the the overlapping portion of that Venn diagram, right? It's kind of temple, mountain, you know, bronze pillars, something like this, right? Then the question is, well, what's it what's it referring to? What's this symbolizing? Well. Let's let's maybe read the stuff about these chariots here, and uh, maybe that'll make a little bit more sense of this, or or maybe it'll just get more confusing. Well, that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but let's let's go ahead and take this next chunk now. Here's verse two. The first chariot had red horses. The second, black horses. The third, white horses. And the fourth chariot, dappled horses. All of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth, and he cried to me, "Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country." Okay, so a lot of things moving around here, a bunch of different colors. Um, I mean, the angel, uh, the, the his kind of angel guide that Zechariah has has had consistently. You know, we, we've seen different kind of celestial figures. You know, we've had like the angel of the Lord. Right. There was a uh, one time. Right. There was an angel right. that had like a, a measuring line. Right. But there's been consistently this one, the angel who talks to me. Right. Um, and so here he is again, being the helpful guide, and he's explaining that these four sets of horses, these four chariots, have something to do seemingly with the four directions on the compass here, and so something exactly. is going on geographically. So what? What do we? to make of all this, uh, these different directions in the movement here?
1: Well, because it's visionary language, it's pointing us to something that um, is, you know, like predictions and so forth of, of the future. This is what prophets do. They, they point us to uh, events that, that are going to be unfolding um, according to the Lord's will and timetable, and so, you know, he asks the question, you know, what are these, my Lord? And thankfully, he did because we get to hear the answer too. So, right. as you move into verse five, um, you see that they're they're going out from the four winds, and here it is, you know, this is coming down from out of heaven, and uh, they're they're now uh, presenting themselves to the Lord, you know, and the chariots now this is really this is really important for us to understand the chariot with the black horses goes to the north now it's always in relationship uh to where god's people dwell there in jerusalem and so you've got uh this um understanding of the north would be the north country uh uh and then the south uh, the south country would be south of of the uh, where the temple is there in uh, jerusalem and then um you you've got this idea of patrolling the earth again. Yeah. Uh, and I say again, because if you go back to the very first chapter with the very yep. first vision, there was patrolling going on there as well. and God is uh, God is putting all these things into action. It has something to do. We know that Babylon was to their north. We know that um, and and uh, Persia, we also know that to the south, uh there were there was Egypt of course and then um it kind of like to the southwest really and then you have uh uh these two major um pictures of God's rule. You know, he's still in control. He's the one um but uh these two places were places that where uh the people of God were taken into Egypt right. and into Babylon and uh as really as a result of god 's wrath, because they were not following him, they were not being his people and that 's what god god 's desire is and so he, he, here 's these two world powers uh that he 's now sending these black horse uh, i 'm sorry these chariots and these um patrols to and uh, so what does this mean right that 's the big European question. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. And I appreciate you connecting it back to what we saw in, in chapter one. And um, and I would even connect it. I think we mentioned it. We might have mentioned it actually back when we were talking about chapter one. I'd connect it also to Job because the language here sure. is very similar to the language of Job. When you talk about the, the them presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. And then yeah. you have that language about, um, here it's translated patrolling. The ESV translates it in Job as going to and fro for reasons uh, but it's the same it's the same same Hebrew words here the presenting and the patrolling here um, so again and again you actually you have a few times this idea that um, we would call them angels though technically speaking they're not angels because they're not messengers right they are <laughs> right they're uh, they're celestial beings but they' they don't have the messenger function they have the patrolling function Function, right? So you have these guys, and they and they do this, um, and because God is not just the God of just this little area over here, but as it says in verse five of all the earth. So you have this a few times that um, God sends these these servants of His, these celestial servants, to go and patrol and keep tabs of things, and they and they present themselves to Him. They they report to Him. Is I think the idea we're supposed to be taking away from that mm-hmm. similarly we saw that in chapter one how they all were reporting or presenting themselves to that one um, writer who was on the red horse in the middle right who seemed to be more than just uh, one of the underlings so yeah yeah so in the midst of all these world powers there are celestial powers that God is moving around and He's overseeing all of it, right?
1: We really haven't had an opportunity
0: to to, to talk more about,
1: um, you know, is there some symbolic symbolic meaning to the, um, you know, to the, the color of the horses? I noticed yeah. also back in chapter one there were white horses, there were red horses, um, there were yep. sorrel horses. Um, uh, maybe a refresher on what did you talk about when you were talking about sorrel horses?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we were. It was interesting because actually, in chapter one, too, w- one of the things I was mentioning was that those different colors are associated with different directions, and this is just the, the weirdest thing when you look at it from a Western perspective. Um, but in fact the way that you even talked about directions, right? Like the Hebrew word for South was wilderness and the, and the Hebrew word for East was sunrise and the Hebrew word for um North was basically um, like, like white mountains. And then the word for West was uh, the sea, right? So like the the, huh. the directions were not exactly actually North, South, East, West, from our perspective, they were kind of like, um honestly, they were almost, you you would say, like north, northwest, northeast, southeast, southwest. Um, right. The directions right. were a little bit askew, and so you kind of, whenever you look at these directions in the Bible, you got to like kind of tilt your head when you're looking at the map, actually. But yeah, there's there seems to be these color associations with the directions, and so you seem to have that same thing again, where you know white's kind of pointing you up towards the mountains. Red, even though the direction's not named here, I wonder if it's just, it's not mentioned because it's too obvious to a Hebrew perspective. Um, Red, you know, is actually the word Edom, that's down the south, right? So it seems like there's like a four directions, four colors going on.
1: Yeah. And it's it's been, it's interesting, because whenever I was looking in the uh, commentary of the Concordia Self-Study Bible, I noticed that... Um, they actually, again, were trying to give some symbolic meaning to some of these colors, like, like the red uh, representing uh, wartime, and black, of course, every, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an international ongoing color of death and doom, and white uh, for uh, being cleansed or, or, or pure. And then, the, of course, the word "dappled." There's one. There's one we use every uh, day. Right? Uh, yeah.
2: I
0: know. yeah. <laughs> so, no, like I was so, saying, I'd, I had to look that up. I was just like, "Hang on, what?" You know, um, someone someone right. put a D on the front of a fruit here. So, <laughs> y- y- yeah, no, da- dappled. So this was this was an, a weird. And, th- and then you get the comment at the end with an M dash, right? Because. Right. um because we love our and it says all of them strong. Says all yeah, them yeah, strong. yeah. So, and that's what is going on there, right? And uh, right. that's one I'm sure. If you were looking at the commentaries, people suggested all kinds of things.
1: What did you discover about Dappled?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so okay. So what I read about Dapple, right? And so this is uh, thanks to Wikipedia, right? But um, but oh, yeah, right. like okay. so, so apparently, like dapp like dapples. You can talk about that. Are, are these different colored rings that appear on horses. And they seem to be kind of a transitional thing where a horse might be born a particular color, whether it's you know red or, or brown or, or, or even black or white or whatever. Um, but then over time, you get these kind of like white colored rings that start emerging so that your horse mm-hmm. gets this spotted um, kind of thing going on, which can be really uh, pretty. But the thing is, it's short lived. Because eventually, it's all all new information to me. Um, but because eventually they just go all white, right? Uh, and so they go yeah. through a, these different stages. Um, but the thing that's interesting to me is that the the Hebrew just says um, the fourth, like the the fourth horse, the fourth hor- the, fir- the fourth chariot, right? The horses were, it says, dappled strong, right? Um, right, it doesn't right. it doesn't say like and oh and by the way, they were like really strong horses. so interesting too, that the word for strong is not the normal word for strong at right. all. In fact, it's the only time this word occurs in the Bible. and so that makes you think something is up here with that word strong. you shouldn't take it in the normal sense that you might think, but we can get to that in just a second hold that thought we got to go for our break but everybody hang on we're looking at zechariah chapter six on nice strong word be right back
2: Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he shall be saved. You can help us continue to get that message out around the globe while there's still time. One way is to become a church or organization of the week. For a gift of just five hundred ninety-five dollars, your church will receive 35 30-second 30 announcements during the week of your choice, identifying your church as well as upcoming events and happenings. And your pastor or a representative from your church, they may record those announcements, or we can produce them ourselves. Either way. In addition, your pastor or representative will have the opportunity. to be on one of KFUO's programs. It's a wonderful way to expand your mission outreach and to help KFUO Radio to do the same. For further information, call me, Mark, at 314-996-1520 or mark.hawkinson at kfuo.org. On the next Lamplighter Theater. I cannot help but speak of the one who loves me. Jesus? Yes, Jesus is still teaching me about his boundless love. I long to have the same love for him and for others. The Christian has to be dealt with. Why? He has been talking to my parents about his religion. We kill the infidel tonight. Don't miss the next Lightlighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Zechariah chapter 6 today. And we were just talking about, okay, these these four different horses, right? And there's um, different—not necessarily four different horses, but four groups of horses of four different colors. And uh, you even get as elaborate or specific as uh, dappled, right? And so, hang on, what's going on here? You know, like, are each of the colors, like— uh, some kind of different kind of symbolism here is it like what's going on in revelation with like you know the the white and the green and the black horses right so uh lots of questions here if you have a question please do call in if you're listening live you can ask a question of me or our guest today pastor Curtis Dieterding pastor of Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers Florida You can give us a call at 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And you can do so uh, because of the support of a lot of people, but especially our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check out their website, lhfmissions.org. Org. Okay, so we were just looking at <laughs> right the the da- dappled strong is what is what the Hebrew says and um yeah so to make a long story short I don't know why more translations don't just simply say like lots of dapples or bold dapples because it seems to be I, I mean I think kind of clearly what it means and Greek and the Greek translation it says kind of the same thing actually it says just like had lots of dapples or you're like lots of little spots or something and so it, it seems like they're all colored descriptions um and and of course as you were saying though the question is what do you do with the colors you try to like you know say like you know black is death and red is blood or something like that um or is it like geography so that that that's the challenge
1: right right that's what happens whenever you have different interpretations from different times in history and when we even we even um at times uh bring our own ideas or thoughts, uh, you know, that are that kinda come up. Just kinda like what you pointed out earlier, you know. Um you know, you you might have some contemporary ways of looking at some of the things that you're reading and it really has nothing to do with what's actually in the text. So
0: Right. What is
1: the point of all this? Yeah,
0: yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I was gonna say, like, um, like bronze, as I mentioning earlier, right? Like, you shouldn't like, you know, say oh, mountains of bronze, like, oh, well, I mean, you know, they're not silver or gold. So I guess they're only like, okay, mountains, right? You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, if it was, if they had been better, they would have been, you know, gold, like, it's like, well, that's not necessarily, you know, what we're supposed to be thinking about, like, you know, that's, that's very peculiar to the way that, that we think about it. And, I do think that the the colors as directions has a lot going for it. I mean, you just got to remind yourself, like the actual word for red is just Edom. I mean, it's just the name of the place down there in the south, right? And and the word for white is just Lebanon. It's it's just the mountains that are up north, so. It's kind of, I mean, like if nothing else, it's like the most the most obvious um, thing to do with it, right? But then when you just think about it, like here is these celestial patrollers, right, who are going over the whole Earth. You have the four winds of heaven. I think it, I think it all like points to that in a lot of ways. So now I am not entirely sure why um, if if it's if it's breaking it down like that, and the black and the white groups go up to the north. I can, I I understand why white would go north. I'm not exactly sure why black would, if black maybe has some kind of connection to the East that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, And then if the red and the dappled ones go South red, okay. That makes sense that it goes South dappled. I guess I'm not entirely sure why that one would actually go South either. So, I mean, there's still like a couple of question marks, but I mean, you, you could throw stuff out there, but I think, you know, without spending all the time on horses today. Uh, I think that overall it's like, yes, like God is in control of all four corners of the compass. There is no corner of the earth where you can hide yourself from him or where, oh, well, you know, God's, you know, preoccupied with Israel. So he's not really paying any mind to Egypt. Uh, No, God is at work all over the earth. And as you were saying, it doesn't matter how far flung his people have become, uh, God has not let any of them escape his watchful eye.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's that's uh, a good s- summary of those of those first eight verses. I as I look at them and I look at it as a whole, um it, what it says is that, you know, God is a mighty God, he's powerful. He's he's definitely got his hand in the events of the world and that he sees that um, and we, we're kind of even getting some description of what's going on, even in, in at least in the north country, anyway. With the uh, those up in the Babylon, Persia area, uh, it, it sounds like you know, behold, those who go toward the north country they have set my spirit at rest in the north country, uh, right. making it sound as though there's no more war. They're at peace, at least at this time. In this, whenever this vision is supposed to be depicting that time. But I think it also shows just the power of God in, in the horses themselves, in the, in the chariots. You know, just this vision is powerful. It's huge. You know, it's, you can see the mightiness of God is at work in, uh, in this patrolling of, of all that's going on in His world.
0: Right. Well, yeah, you're reminded, of course, of, you know, I mean, how the Lord is referred to in Hebrew, Yahweh Sabaoth. Right. Like yeah. Yahweh of armies, uh, you know, or, you know, as a as a, an old seminary prophet said, you know, General Yahweh. Right. Like, I mean, and here, here he is. He, these are his troops. These are his patrols. Right. He controls, um, you know, far greater than even the armies of Earth, though he demonstrates that power as well. But I mean, here's these kind of celestial uh, military uh positions that are that are you know all over the place and so i, I think that your application then the, the reference then i think is is spot on that you know this is a time where you know uh, yeah there there seems to be a, a lull in all of the chaos we have resettlement of course right that's what zechariah we got to remember right what are haggai and zechariah doing right well they're they're showing up and saying hey guys um let's let's build this temple let's make this happen right because why well, look, we have peace. They're leaving us alone for a second, right? And so you, you got to make the most of these opportunities. You know, here, look, there, here's our chance, right? And we're going to get to the rest of it um, and the rest of the chapter here. But it's like, God is just giving you rest so that you can do this. Um, we saw that same theme in Joshua, right? Whenever there was a break in the fighting, it was like, hey guys, let's make the most of this. And that's when they met up at Shiloh, right? Or they or they would... Uh, or they met up at like at Shechem, right? Like that's when like they would get together and and say, "Hey, we're going to worship the Lord," right? Like when God gives you peace, right? Use it for for the purposes that God would would have you use it. And so, I mean, that's certainly something that that we can appreciate today too, you know. And I, I guess I, I guess today maybe our, maybe our problem is that it seems like God gives us so much peace, we we forget that that's a gift that he gives us for mm-hmm. his purposes. Right. And we think it's just a matter of like, Oh, let me f- find some hobbies to like fill all the time with not, not knocking hobbies. Maybe your hobby is horses. Right. But i um, just saying that we shouldn't <laughs> fall into the, uh, the trap of thinking like, you know, like our, our time is our own. Right. And that peace is kind of just normal because uh, m- looking over the history of the earth, peace is a precious gift of God to be used Um, for important purposes. Right, right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about, um, in the second half of the chapter, what kind of purposes God has in mind for this time of peace. So let's read this second half here, beginning at verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles Heldi, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go on the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on its throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Halem, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. All right, maybe pause there before that last verse there. Um but so yeah, this is this is striking, right? So I mean, okay, we have some n- names of the exiles um y- y- we might just know in passing, right, that it seems like almost all of these guys have those, you know, Aya names, right? Like a uh, very yep. uh or god-oriented, which was not uncommon coming out of the exile. They were like, "Hang on a second. We I think we have we've had this idea uh, sunk into our heads. We need to stop, you know, uh, bowing down to Baal. <laughs> things don't things don't work out so well. So at, at least the names kind of reflect that a little bit. And yeah, so the exiles are getting together, getting silver and gold for what purpose? To put a crown on the high priest. one of silver and gold, he's going to sit on a throne. And I mean, this is interesting. Um, you have the title the Branch. All this applied to Joshua, son of Jehosadak, the high priest. So a very splendorous image of the high priest here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it, there, there's so much in these words because there, there's this whole temple language and the whole branch language when you follow it all the way through Scripture is, is powerful in the sense that, you know, the temple... Uh, Always represents the presence of God among His people, or right. you know the presence of God eternally with you know that's promised to His people who um, have faith in Him, and so you you've got this wonderful uh, temple uh, that, and, and now this is in this is not visionary at this point, but yet. Right. The ideas of it surely are, it goes way beyond what's, what we see in this world. There's a lot of confusion even to this day because of the temple language that, uh, no, now we got to go build this temple over in Jerusalem, and, and until right. it does, Jesus won't return. All these things, uh, there, there's, there's so much confusion whenever you try to uh, take language that is visionary and prophetic and uh, bring it into this world, because it's not of this world. It's, 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 um, it's happening around us. I mean, there's a lot of language throughout all the Old and New Testament that speaks of the spiritual world and all that's going on around us, and we are in that. We're in that spiritual struggle, um, but it's hard for us to see who are flesh and blood. And so, to right. see the the branch and to to understand the branch language is always that which points to Messiah, to the one that, who is the branch. Jesus is 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 really hard for us to see, and that's why that's why you know you, we can see so much confusion uh, because again, you know, we we read this and 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 people can kind of if, if you don't take it within the context of all of God's word, um, it again it can be very confusing
0: right, yes, keep keeping it in context so key, because just as you were saying, you can just take this anywhere, right it seems like um when, when you kind of untether it, and you know you you do see that, yes, uh, i am glad you pointed it out, just to, or really clear, uh, this does not seem to be a continuation of the vision, right, I mean, this seems to be you know on verse nine, there's a new introduction, right, you got this, you know, and the the word of the Lord fell upon me came came to me something like this so this seems to be more of like you know hey this is the message go go speak it now um very interesting and there's there's
1: specific people there's 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 people who lived in the history that are not being mentioned here now so we know this is historical language here but yet it's still got a very strong spiritual connection to what's going on even in the visions
0: that that's right. Well, because and we gotta think about that, right? So, like, so hang on a second. So, why is this specific message to these specific people, right, being given at this specific time, right? After all this this heavenly visionary stuff, right? And it is interesting, as you were saying, how you know even though this isn't like a vision anymore, um, the stuff that it's talking about, like, seems to maintain a new perspective, right? Because you you have this idea of you know, well, just, I mean, come on, the, the silver and the gold and a crown, right, on the head of the high priest, or calling him the branch, or talking about things like royal honor and uh, the priest on the throne, or even just the way that um, God's referred to here, right? The Lord of hosts, right? that That's kind of striking, um, the first half of the chapter was very much a Lord of Hosts kind of depiction, right? Like the the, the heavenly, you know, commander of of the celestial armies, right? Like sending his chariots yeah. all over the earth, right? Yeah. And yet, it didn't actually say um, Yahweh Sabaoth there, but here it does, right? So it's clear that the the imagery is is meant to shape Zechariah's mind and his language. And it's supposed to shape the way that you understand this. We're supposed to be understanding this message in the context of everything that we've read so far. So, right. I mean, so so how, what do you what do you think then? Like, you know, especially thinking of, I mean, you know, you, you look at all all uh, six of the chapters we looked at so far, but um, especially this part of the first part of chapter six. I mean, how does that color, huh? Um, what, what we're yep, supposed to be right. taking yes. from the second so, half of chapter well, six?
1: I, I'm, I'm going to look at the at the at the back end of that vision because that's I think I think it's a kind of a segue. Actually, if you look at verse eight, you know what it's yeah. saying, He cry to me, behold, those who go to the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country." Meaning that, and if you and then if you read on now and you go into what's actually going to be taking place, you have three. Um, three of these men are coming down from the north country, from Babylon. It says it right Right. there. And what do they bring with them? They bring silver and gold. And they know that silver and gold is going to be used in the rebuilding process of what they're trying to do as far as the temple. And so uh, we see that there is some kind of support being given in the rebuilding of the temple, even from their former enemies. And God is now at rest uh, in that relationship, because evidently it's going well. Because it's going well enough that even Babylon is now trying to be part of the rebuilding process, uh, at least through some of the people that are being sent.
0: Right, right. Yeah. At least, at least Babylon's being helpful because the Persians are ordering them to. Right. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. But I'm just saying, you, you definitely see their support there. And yes. There's yes. Not, there's not this. There's not this a uh, threat. I guess is probably a better word. Yeah. From,
0: from up north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exa- exactly, right. Yeah, yeah, no. So, w- well said. And and so you you have this this thought that you know, okay, there there's no there's no threat there, right? And so, kind of like in Joshua, how we could take a moment to like, hey, you know, get Eleazar the priest or or Phineas after him, um, and, and get Joshua and get get the tabernacle. Let's set up and have the assembly, right? Like you can have this moment because God's given it to you. And 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 more than that, I think it makes sense to talk about all this royal, I mean, this, this is very bold, right? I mean, they are not a, a free and independent country, right? They're they're not allowed to have a king, <laughs> right? right? That That's the situation here. We got to remember this, right? Yet, Zechariah is going to go and say, hey, put a crown of silver and gold on this guy's head, give him royal honor and put him on the throne. Like, How can you possibly say that and think that that makes any sense? Well, I feel like this is what the visions have been preparing us for, that we see, yeah, on the outside, it looks like we are just under Persia's thumb and that all the powers of the world are are the things that are really impressive and they're the things that are really in control. And, you know, we're just like you were saying earlier, we're just we're just sandwiched between superpowers here with Persia and Egypt, right? We're just, uh, I mean, we ourselves are nothing. No, change your perspective. Look at the visions here. God is the one who's in control of all of it. He's the king. He's the one who's directing Persia and Egypt and all the rest of them. And so when you have that perspective, then it makes sense to talk about the, the high priest being God's royal representative. He can still have a throne and a crown and have all this splendor because of who he represents, because you have a different perspective now. We're not just, oh, this is the high priest of this little tiny, you know, backwater corner of, of, the, of this empire. No, th- this represents the God who's in control of all of it. The perspective changes the way we think about this high priest.
1: Right. And then we also uh, want to remember, too, that uh, Joshua is kind of a— uh, and I know that, again, a lot of theologians don't always embrace the, the typology kind of idea, but uh, is, is a type of Messiah Christ that is coming. And you can't help but think of of, of Jesus as um, three offices of prophet, priest, and king, and right. how it culminates really right here in what's being said concerning Joshua. It's just it's really fascinating to see, to be able to just really get into this uh, more deeply, you you could surely do that uh, to find all the different connections with other places in Scripture that talk about the branch, that talk about um, you know uh, the king uh, or, or reigning on a throne, right. um, okay. and and just the whole idea of the future temple, though, what's what's to come, what a prophet would point us to to say, here comes the here comes the um, uh, the true temple, though the eternal temple. I shouldn't say true, the eternal temple uh, that we are all. Uh, hoping to be God's people, and He be, and, and that He will be our God. You know, and, and yeah. that, that culminates really at the end of Revelation.
0: Yeah, no, I really, I really like the typological approach because, I, I mean, you know, it's you, you either have a typological approach that says, "Hey, look, there's a historical meaning here that patterns into our own time," right? Or you, you kind of go the other way that we were talking about earlier, where you just kind of say, "Well, all this stuff just kind of represents basically." who knows why right i mean it can represent right. just kind of anything when you kind of disconnect it from history and, and and then you know it at what point are we still reading the bible and at what point are we just kind of just saying like well it kind of means whatever it, you know pops into my head i mean and, and you know and to be fair i mean sometimes we're we're at such a loss of what the historical reference is it's like that, that that's what all we're going to be able to do you know and so we say lord have mercy and we try our best but um, like, you, like you've like you been directing us here, I mean, like the historical reference seems fairly clear here. I mean, th- this is a significant moment. And historically speaking, this is, I think, the beginning of the consolidation of the power of Israel around the high priesthood, such that when you get to the time of our Lord Jesus, right, um, th- yeah, there's like this, you know, Herod. Guy, well, not for that long, actually, right? Until they get rid of him, and they're like, okay, no, no more of these little, like king people, right? Um, but you, you see this consolidation where the high priesthood kind of becomes seemingly more and more powerful um, in the history of Israel, such that the the priest, the high priest, is basically the king. He's basically the guy who's in charge of everything, um, which of course really lent it then <laughs> lent itself to the description of Jesus Christ as the true. High priest, but yeah. So I I think that historically you have a quite significant foreshadowing here. That you know this is this is kind of the the ruler. I mean, I mean this this is it. He kind of represents what the kingship used to represent. That's why you got a term like the branch here, right? Which we saw in Isaiah in connection to Hezekiah, a king, right? Um, Now being used of I uh, of um, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, here, right? So yeah, this kind of king-priest hybrid that you see, especially after the exile, that that's what it historically was, but it also points ahead to how the Lord Jesus is just both at the same time.
1: Yeah, and then um, and there's so much language, too, that uh, again, points back to uh, a, a lot of what goes on in the temple and with the high priest and all that uh, in the book of Hebrews, of course. Uh, you know, if, if if people are familiar right. with their New Testament, um, they they know that in chapter five, especially in Hebrews, it really goes into some detail about Jesus as the high priest. That he, he did not uh, appoint himself, uh, he didn't exalt, he didn't exalt himself, but he was appointed uh, by um, by his heavenly Father. You know, uh, and, and he uses language like, "You are my son today; I have begotten you, and you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek." and you right. see that uh, that Jesus as high priest goes in and there's other language throughout Hebrews too that talks about how you know he did not offer up the blood of animals but he offered up his own blood he 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 had his own sacrifice he was the sacrifice actually so it's it's just it's just incredible how everything just ties in to everything that was going on in the temple, right. the practices in the Old Testament, and ties us in. So, so there's a lot here. That's what I'm saying. You, you know, we could we could really uh, go off on a lot of different tangents and, on, on the meanings and the understanding of what this meant. But historically, right here in this time and in this place, uh, this was just this is this is absolutely beautiful because they're just building. Rebuilding really the te- the uh, temple there right. um, uh, to honor God and to um, bear uh, this royal honor for Joshua, who was going to be sitting on this uh, as a priest on his throne. Right,
0: e- exactly, exactly, and understanding that historical picture, right, right, really then helps you connect the dots to. You know, like understanding all that stuff in the New Testament, like you were just saying. Let's go ahead and read the, the last verse here and then just make a couple of remarks here by way of conclusion. So here's verse 15. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So, I mean, there, there's that concluding remark, and it, it seems like he kind of just puts it in the plainest language, just as you were saying, like, yeah, uh, e- even people from Babylon or even people who were sent off in different directions in the diaspora, right, when the Babylonians rolled into town, they're all going to be coming back, they're going to be helping, we're going to rebuild this this temple, um, you, you know, and there's this idea, the concluding remark, right, again and again and again, is this obedience to God, Will will you um heed his voice and in fact in the, in the Hebrew there right it's like you know will you listen right to his voice um and so I mean isn't that just something when we reflect on that connecting to our Lord Jesus Christ you know when you had the language of of high priest or you know prophet you know th- those kinds of terms we shouldn't be thinking to ourselves like oh yeah like Jesus is you know so inspiring and, you know, he's so spiritual. Right. But, uh, well, hang on. He He's he's a priest king. He's the one whose voice we're supposed to be listening to, like in the sense of obeying, like we're the we're the sheep of the shepherd. So um, certainly for ourselves, you know, what do we do at this time of peace that God has given us? Well, I mean, let's listen to him and obey him in every aspect of our lives, and, and not just say like, "Oh, he's kind of an inspiring figure." Uh, just like you know, thirty seconds here, but yeah, your concluding thoughts here.
1: Yeah, I was I was just looking at those uh, final words there too, and then this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. I can't help but think of that uh, command in the in. Um, uh, both the law and the gospel context, because you know, back in that day, they were still under really first covenant language, which is saying you need to obey through your actions to show that you truly are diligent in in your in your uh, in your life with God. And, right. and today, we would we would connect that more with the diligence of, of of faith and actually believing in in our Lord and all that He has done for us.
0: Right. That, that's right. Yeah. Like like Paul says, the obedience of faith, which is ours by the power of the Holy Spirit and the working of word and sacrament. So thank you so much, brother. 15 verses, but wow, there's a lot going on there. There's Appreciate a lot you. lot
1: those 15. It's, 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 it's <laughs> that's right. a great joy. Thank you.
0: Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Moving on to Zechariah chapter 7 next time. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J.
2: Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.